Hello and welcome to Timber Sycamore, Season 2, Operation Condor, Episode 1, where we'll be discussing uh, some background information on Condor. I am your host, Michael Petroselli, here with... Hayden DePriest. So that we are going to begin our discussion today by answering the question, just very broadly, what was Operation Condor? Yeah, uh, which is kind of an expansive project undertaken by the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's represented primarily by a couple different uh, events that precede it. We'll talk about the coups later, but first and foremost, it's also preceded by the tactics and tools that are developed during things like Operation Phoenix in Vietnam, which is a U.S. torture program. Um, and Operation Gladio, which is kind of where they start to develop these clandestine networks, right? Right, exactly. So what we see with Operation Condor is a retooling and revitalizing, revamping, reinventing of like different clandestine operations that had already taken place under CIA direction in Europe during the post-war era. Yeah, and this... Uh insistence on making sure that the global right wing begins to uh, either capitulate or respond to U.S. interests almost in their entirety. Mm -hmm. They like, uh, it's partially an effort at like the elimination of sovereignty, uh, but also partially just like the U.S. seeking dominance and kind of creating what we'll see, what was the Reagan coalition, but abroad, right? Mm -hmm. So we have like this neoliberal sect, which is representative of like the Thatcherites. And also uh, in the case of Argentina, we have these deeply religious figures who are kind of symbolic of the American Christian right abroad. So in another sense, because Operation Condor was effectively an intelligence bank, it was an intelligence network that was constructed between the intelligence agencies that were uh, national in these countries in Latin America, working in tandem with the CIA after coups had taken place in this country. We also wanted to talk not just about these kinds of different pieces of background, but also the general geopolitical background as a whole by which we mean the status of the Cold War at the time. Yes. And so you and I, Michael, had talked in a previous discussion about the... A lot of the... Actual, a lot of the direction that the CIA took undertook with Operation Condor was based very specifically on its regional aspect being within the... Like, like an old Monroe Doctrine style kind of thing. Like, because Latin America was so geographically like linked to the united states being in this region of the world part of the idea was op of operation condor to some degree or at least between like the different inner cooperation between uh latin american and north american states in general was an attempt to create a kind of quasi uh warsaw pact for the anti-communist nations for the united states specifically yes um and we're gonna see a lot of that start to form up uh, specifically in like the John Birch Society, the World Anti-Communist League, um, but also through people like uh, who we'll see later, Stefano Della Chiaia, 
who uh, says that his sole goal is to form a black fascist international. Um, he is also a CIA operative, or at least uh, a CIA asset. Um, he is associated with Michael Townley, who is directly a CIA asset, um, and is also part of Operation Gladio, which is where mm -hmm. he first comes in contact with the CIA. All right, exactly. And uh, in many ways, this is kind of a black fascist international, right? In fact. So, um, Condor kind of has a unique layout to it in that uh, it develops out of the 1974 meeting, which we'll get into more a little bit later. But uh, during that meeting, they outlined three distinct phases, um, which are all either predecessors or successors to other events, right? So mm -hmm. the first one, uh, we hadn't really seen anything like it globally yet, which is uh, this kind of proto Five Eyes behavior where they data bank all of the intelligence gathered by multiple different intelligence agencies on what they refer to as subversives. Um, subversives meaning very obviously um communists and communist sympathizers and by the end people who supported them sometimes if they became even like mildly critical or people who were just opposed to like american geopolitical interests in general yeah yeah you like orlando letelier certainly would not be the standard for like this person is a subversive <laughs> like the christian democrats backed pinochet which is insane to think about because of where they end up um in phase two we see the development of like a post phoenix program skill set where all of a sudden we are training people to conduct intelligence operations there's uh, significant amounts of torture being done, and often in very extreme conditions and by some of the like most repulsive people you could imagine. And Mike has uh, provided me no shortage of names to really examine if you want to see some examples of uh, people of this ilk. Yeah. Um, also a significant number of them uh, which we might get into at some point on the show. We might do it as a special episode or something for Patreon listeners. Don't make him promises that we can't keep. We might. That's why we, mi we might. Well, we might, you know, don't, um, don't, don't get him excited. It happens if it happens. Get heavily involved with drug dealing, uh, including Carlos Later, who is a follower of Evola and Savitri Devi, uh, and also an advisor to the Medellin cartel, well, there were a lot of cartels that were involved in, like, some of the actual, like, central infrastructure in Operation Condor. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if we were going to if we were going to list, like, the proto-structure, proto-infrastructure of Operation Condor, a couple things we could point to. You could point to, very generally, the OAS, not as, like, an integral part of Condor, but as an indicator that this is where American public policy—sorry, American— uh, 
international policy is starting to shift its focus um, in the post-war years. Yeah. OAS is founded in 1948. The idea being to create a League of Nations for the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Um, and the OAS, uh, in many ways, does develop into what becomes Condor. The countries that stay within the OAS and that stay uh, U.S. adjacent in their interests, right? Yeah. It's an order for the new world, one might say. So, because you have to you have to think about the fact that like you know at this t point in time and even still today there is only one actual like major power in the western hemisphere there's one yeah and it is the it is the major power as even well more so then because even more so the world was rebuilding yeah and canada was still basically a colony doesn't their prime minister still have to swear fealty to the queen? I mean, well, in a very, in terms of having a completely cucked political system, yes, they are still a colony. But like you know, nobody, I don't believe, but by this point, anybody was using the Canadian dollar as reserve currency. Oh no! Like it was, like this was a this was a significantly even even more nerfed Canada than you have today. Today, you can argue that Canada is some kind of power, secondary power. Yeah, it is at least capable of, like, defending its own interests. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, De it depends on how much, uh, like, again, you sometimes you'll see in certain, like, uh, I don't want to promote this idea of, like, inter-imperialist conflicts, but there are, like, you know, like the situation in Mali a few years ago where you had United States and on one side and France on the other. Uh, Canada is not really in any sort of position to do something like that, but... Yeah. And but you know. The inter-imperialist conflicts that actually exist are not the ones that get, like, widely televised usually. They are very much hush-hush and treated as, like, background noise. Yeah, the, the, the boys are fighting, but they'll make up. They always do. Right. Um, and to some extent, that comes out of this, like, the developments that happened during World War One, right? Like the imperialist powers have gotten better at not broadcasting their struggles in between themselves to the world because it functionally weakened their position when they did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have the rise of the Soviet Union, the development of the Chinese Communist Party, and the fall of the British Empire and independence for a whole bunch of colonies as a result of this. Um, which is anyways, part of what the U.S. is trying to fix here. Partially, yes. Anyways, to I was going to say we should reorient, but you've already found your segue, which was very clean, and I'm fucking it up. So that's fine. Anyways, um, so part of so we were talking about what we would consider the foundational infrastructure, like the what had to exist before Operation Condor could exist. So yes. you might talk again. OAS just being indicative of the way that this is where American like foreign policy is going to go and then we would talk about probably on the one hand existing like knowledge and practice existing theory and practice as established by operation gladio and then also as far as the most tangible and concrete thing probably the school of the americas yes especially because well and i guess in a broad sense we could also say that like a country like panama it didn't necessarily have to be Panama, but it had to be a U.S. base of operations for them to operate out of. Mm -hmm. 
um, which with the SOA becomes very important. Um, shout out to the SOA Watch for all of the excellent research that they do. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to make these episodes without them. So the original SOA is called Fort Amador, uh, and it's in the Panama Canal Zone. They train artillery, advanced weapons usage, and provide instruction in nation building. If you uh, download the list of personnel who took classes there from uh, SOA Watch, mm -hmm. uh, it includes some jobs like uh, jungle operations, um, military That's me, intelligence baby. translator, military intelligence officer, uh, commando courses. God only knows what that means. Counter I am, counter I am acing. The, I am acing that commando course as we speak, my friend. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've got all my underwear packed for the move, dude. Oh shit. That's that's exciting Fuck. though. It is exciting. I'm also kidding, by the way. But yeah. Yeah. No. A lot of like jungle operations, urban warfare, uh, guerrilla combat, urban counterinsurgency, civic action planning. Hmm. Don't like that. I don't even, I don't know what that would be, but I have some ideas and I imagine that it looks like uh, orchestrating like mass protests. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Enti pretty much the entirety of anyone that is going to be worth mentioning as a military commander during our conversation is going uh, to come not... out of the SOA. Okay. I didn't want to reverse cause and effects. Not everybody who comes out of the School of Americas that we talk about is a military commander, however. There no. are some other characters, there are some other characters that are, uh, quite fascinating yes so the current soa is at fort benning georgia in case anyone was wondering and it is called the western hemisphere to cooperate for training the western hemisphere center to cooperate for training that's actually really close to where we live do you think we should um what, what's their scholarship program like i wonder <laughs> like uh i'm pretty i'm pretty good at i'm pretty good at work rhymes i would think i think you I've... need a couple under your belt before they'll take you Listen, I've played, I've played like fucking 200 hours of Fire Emblem. I have sacrificed so many uh, children in order to get my victory. I am, I've played Fire Emblem for 200 hours. That's literally child soldiers the game. I'm number one at war crimes. Um, so the SOA and their training manuals, they also, uh, anytime they talk about uh, oh, human resource exploitation, which is interrogation, they just can't say that as openly as they would like to. Um, they put quotes around the word questioner, question, questioner, questioner or questionnaire, questioner. So like the one who questions. Yes. Okay. And they talk about this phrase regression a lot, uh, which you can, on the SOA watches website, you can find the training manual with the edits made by the, uh, GOA, uh, government oversight agency, which, uh, specified that they were not allowed to say things like uh, if the subject is pushed into a state of regression too far you should contact a psychiatrist uh, they're like you should have a psychiatrist on hand if there's a risk of regression regression to uh, so the thought uh, regression to not to being conditioned to okay because uh, the goal is to push someone to the point where they will break and tell you what they want with suggestions like well everyone else is doing it or they made you do it. Some of the things they specify are like irregular sleeping times, irregular eating times, 
uh, irregular eating amounts. If someone smokes, give them a cigarette one day, come in and break it a minute later, throw it on the ground, uh, move their furniture around while they're not in the room, switch the clock times while they're sleeping, make sure that they're never interrogated in the same room. Uh, and then finally they reach like a portion on threats where they're like, threats are bad. And like the original text was, and if you make one of violence, it has to be carried out or you're, or they've called your bluff and you lose. And like it got crossed out and it was like threats of violence are ineffective because your bluff cannot be called. That's, you're not allowed <laughs> to do violence. <laughs> what you are advocating for is literally illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, that does not stop the actual training methods from including some of these things. Uh, basically, they just call it coercive techniques and add a little caveat at the beginning of the section that uh, you're not allowed to do it. Some of these coercive techniques are illegal. Don't do them. Yeah. Yeah, like, but it's always very euphemistic, and uh, sometimes they'll, like, mention something like assassinations and then give a detailed guide on how to do it and then say <laughs> but committing assassinations is against is the law wrong. it's a no-no do not follow this detailed instruction on how to carry out assassinations or uh coercive interrogation technique don't do it right this is bad yeah. now if you do do it that would be a war crime you still cannot get you will never get prosecuted for this war crime. You will never have to face consequences for this war crime because of, you know, the weird, you, know, you will never have to face any consequences for it. I mean, you I will just get, if you do this, you will get away with it. I guess some of the SOA grads did. Did they get hit with a, you know, they're not, they're not American nationals, so there's yeah. no Hague Invasion Act here. Galtieri, uh, fucking Noriega. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> well, he's managed to have a pretty good rap career outside of it, so good for him. He, uh, he's like the most notable of the like war criminals to come out of the SOA, just because. Well, he's a famous rapper. I mean, I guess that's part of it, but also like, he's a U.S. citizen for part of his life. The Nori, okay, so Noriega is actually they're different people. I should clarify. Yeah. No, I know. Just. To... I knew you were going to go along with it, but... Yeah, I was going to pretend that Noriega the rapper and Noriega the uh, deceased politician were the same person, but... Well, on one of our test recordings that we had to scrap, like, I, you know, spent, like, about 20 minutes confusing Michael Polanyi with Carl Polanyi, and that was one of the funniest things in the world to me. Once oh, yeah. I discovered, I oh, no shit. I was, so... You hadn't heard either of those, either of those names before? Nope. He was a big monthly... He, he was big in monthly review. Oh, I might know his writing then. Maybe. Um, so, the SOA uh, becomes involved with all of these things, and it turns out this uh, very specific kind of person. Uh, and part of what they're using is tactics that, as I mentioned earlier, were developed during Operation Phoenix, uh, which takes place in Vietnam. Douglas Valentine did some excellent reporting on it, um, as did many other sources. But uh, it becomes like the first formal and widespread CIA torture program where they are not just 
actively torturing people, but they are doing it fairly openly. Mm -hmm. Um, And this development was significant, but also led to a lot of backlash. So in Condor, we scale it back a little bit. Uh, Within the Condor network, they tend to refer to people who get tortured as uh, the disappeared. Disappeared? Where have they gone? Uh, usually either into the Rio Grande or flown out over the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean and then dropped. The Rio Grande on on the Mexican border? Uh, so the death flights actually dropped people in three places. It was the Andes, the Ocean, or the uh, Rio de la Plata. Rio de la Plata. Okay. That makes a little Which bit more sense, more sense given the... Yeah. Okay. Mike, while you were gone, I was singing the Duran Duran song to myself. Really? Yeah. You know the one. Okay. I uh, We had technical difficulties. I am so lost. Where are we? Um, so we were talking about the systems that were developed uh, at the SOA that become very common and the systems that are developed during uh, Operation Phoenix specifically. Um, including the widespread use of torture and the uh, the disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, there are claims made by like all of these government officials who are still alive that uh, the disappeared were never killed, that they're all just living in Europe and it's fine. Uh, based on the actual treatment, we can probably assume that that is not true. The other thing is this kind of develops into being a NATO for Latin America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're seeing the start of NATO, like you mentioned, the OAS, and uh, the School of the Americas becomes like a similar style of tool of intervention, depending on which elements are more dominant at the time. Uh, we'll see later in the series that Argentina becomes deeply involved in uh, this kind of regime change as politic that the U.S. likes to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to what we talked about last time with 3031B, uh, the allegedly fake army training manual uh, for identifying potential allies within foreign regions. The first qualification is effective anti-communism. The second qualification is ideological anti-communism. And the third qualification is democracy. And that is also the ranking system for how we are aligning ourselves with these people, right? Mm-hmm. It is better to have a very effective anti-communist who is also anti-democratic than an ineffective anti-communist who is very pro-democracy. Yeah, so it's like what the what we take from this document, as we've discussed in the past, is just exactly how important like what is the priority for identifying potential allies in foreign regions talked a lot about this with someone like uh, uh Hekmitar, right yes in afghanistan so what we are looking at is we are prioritizing people who are anti-communist and effective over people who are pro-democracy yeah um and in some cases even who are like anti-democratic, but fundamentally uh, represent this uh, aggressive style of anti-communism, the same style that is represented by Pinochet or by 
you know, even Peron to a lesser extent, more less so than like the people who succeed him with the military junta, mm-hmm. as we will see. But there's certainly a strong anti-democratic streak within Peronism. Mm-hmm. And of course, we are at like the early days of the neocons and Kissinger is involved all over the place, seemingly simultaneously omnipotent and unable to have his instructions followed because he's sending uh, official orders to State Department people, uh, according to the book, The Pinochet Years, uh, where he specifically mentions that uh, assassinations cannot be carried out on foreign soil by Condor representatives. Um, Meanwhile, within the Condor organization, he's making statements like, uh, make sure that your enemies are removed quickly and that we don't have to deal with a human rights crisis in public. Keep everything under wraps, keep it all under the surface. Yeah, which almost directly contributes to the assassination of people like Bernardo Layton and Orlando Letelier who were in many ways forcing a public event out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we move into phase two and uh, Operation Phoenix, then we move out of that and we get into phase three. Uh, and we start to really see the concept of like Condor as NATO and Gladio come together, right? We start having uh, the appearance of people like Klaus Barbie, Stefano Della Calle, uh, Michael Townley, this very international set of right-wing terrorists who uh, are aiding and abetting all of the Condor operatives, but at the same time are carrying out their own missions and their own objectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as viciously as any of the Condor operatives are. And so we should probably set the stage for exactly, I don't think we've gone through all of the coups where they happened in Latin America, but that is part of the other background that we want to mention as to like what leads up to the advent of Operation Condor as a whole is the, is the series of Latin American coups that we've talked about. And we've mentioned a few in passing by name, but just to get through the entire list, if you have it. Yeah, I have it in front of me. Perfect. What do we got? Uh, Chile, uh, which, of course, is uh, the other 9-11. The most famous um, of the coups, probably. Yeah, and also interesting because, uh, like the other 9-11, uh, it's the start of this kind of war on terror rhetoric. Uh, Pinochet gets vaulted into the position of anti-communist hero. It's also the most fascinating just because of the connection to what will later become episode two of this series, uh, the connection to the Chicago school that Pinochet and Chile seem to have, along with other states in Latin America, but very uniquely Chilean to some degree. Yes. In terms of economics, it's by far the most developed economic system out of any of these, right? It, it is the... It is the birthplace and uh, first experimental ground for what will later become neoliberalism. Very famously so. Yeah. Um, 
So we have Paraguayan 54, which is uh, led by Strassner. Uh, he's a former armor, army officer, and he's president from uh, 54 all the way up until 89. This is Alfredo Strassner in Paraguay? Yes. Or is it Strassner? I think it's Strassner. Or Strassner. Because it's it's Spanish. In, in German, it would be Strassner. It's a German name, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. He's German Paraguayan. So. God, this is like the debate over the name of the fashion house Loewe. Or some is call there it a Loewe. Debate over that? Oh yeah. It's a. Uh, it looks like low. Some people say low. But it's uh people are always debating between like a Loewe or Loewe with a with a hard B because it's a Spanish specifically, you know, like Castilian. It's a it's a European Spanish fashion house. So they say no, even though it's a German name, you say Loewe. It's a. Oh. Yeah, so in this case, I think it would be, I would say Stressner, but some other might say Stroessner. Yeah. I'll, or Stroessner, I don't know. Maybe you speak I'll try to see you, if I can find some. I speak Spanish well enough, but like, I'll try to find someone else pronouncing it and we'll get back to you, everyone. We're asking the, the important questions here about, about all these coups. So we have yeah. Chile in 73, Paraguay in 54, um, uh, Paraguay Brazil is cool because it ties in well with Chile. So, okay. Well, just to list off some of the other ones, just to get like a just to give people an idea of where this is happening all at once. Like there is also that there is Brazil, I believe, in 64, Uruguay mm -hmm. in 73, Bolivia mm -hmm. in 71, Peru in 75. Am I missing anything, my friend? Um, Argentina 76. The yeah. big one. Yeah, Argentina uh, simultaneously kind of acts as like the vanguard of all of these, but is the last to go in place. But that is at least partially because Argentina has a less threatening government for most of its existence to the U.S. Yeah, as we've talked about, Perón was like, you know, to some degree, like, again, you would rep better Perón than Allende easily. Yeah, he's hanging out with Otto Scorzeni over in Spain, like in the interim. Mm -hmm. um, the only other thing I can think of is uh, La Violencia, which uh, I'm actually not sure how involved the CIA would be with that. Um, but La Violencia is in Colombia, uh, and it's a struggle between the Colombian Liberal Party and the Colombian Communist Party. Almost certainly, um, almost certainly some level of involvement had to have. And what year did this take place? 48 to 58. Okay, maybe not then. They might have yeah, they, they, they were certainly watching it, but I don't know if they were doing anything. Right. And um most of that ends up going the way that we know it does with the So there's actually like more evidence that the Nazi and Falangist governments were involved with developing it mm -hmm. than the actual like U.S. The Nazi, the Nazi and Falangist governments, meaning who? Uh, Spain. Okay. So, so the Francoist, Francoist Spain. Uh, yes. Not the Nazis. Well, so the Nazis are allied with the Liberal Party through the war, and then this eventually develops into this kind of. In 1948. Uh, well, through 44. Okay, so when does this actually start? <laughs> This begins in 48, but there is background to it that starts.
was developing long before that. Okay. Since the 20s, basically, when the conservatives and liberal party ally to over to take out communists. Okay, very nice. Just want to make sure. All right. So the Nazis do. There is like literal, you know, there is actual Nazi support for this. Oh yeah. Yeah, through the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and then. Uh, You know, but by the time this kicks off, in 47, there's an estimated 14,000 deaths just from La Violencia. So, mm-hmm. like, it gets uh, 200,000 civilians die during it. It's an atrocity, but it's just hard to know how much the U.S. is involved with it. So we did not include it on this list. Um, so La Violencia, I am told, is a the belligerents were the Colombian conservatives and the Colombian liberals. The Colombian liberals being supported by the Colombian Communist Party? Ye- yes. Yeah. The okay. Colombian Liberal Party. So I so the support for the support from the European fascist powers is going to the conservatives then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, because the Conservative Party holds power there for a fairly long time. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, super into belief in of God in the center of the universe, belief in private systems, belief in fighting communism and all its ideals, belief in tradition, belief in free trade, belief in an organized society. Like they're just they're law and order like fashy types. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are outside influences within Latin America even already by this point that are playing some part in this. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's just hard. Like, all, it is a much less well-recorded event than most of the other ones. And then in the '60s, of course, we have the development of FARC and DLN and the uh, EPL, all of that. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Now, this is also where they invent the uh, Colombian necktie. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. So Argentina and Chile are kind of the leadership of the Latin American fascists in the sense that uh, in many ways uh, Argentina has the most developed political ideology while Chile has the most developed political economy Um, in terms of like output of writing and formal documentation and formal document styling, right? So do you mean to say that a lot of fascist scholars and intellectuals are coming out of Argentina or somehow located in Argentina at this time? Uh, Yes. Okay. And Um, so are a lot of these uh, transplants from Europe then? So some of them are transplants from Europe. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, people who are associated with Europeans. Miguel Serrano comes around about this time, who uh, brings the writing of Evola and Savitri Devi to Latin America. Mm, fascinating. Um, we have a bunch of the Peduistas from Italy who are involved. Uh, Lopez Riga, who kind of has this same sort of esotericism about him, uh, serves in the Peron government and then also serves after Peron under. Uh, Videla, this kind of very distinct 
uh, ideological structure to Argentina relies on the fact that Lopez Rega is in charge of the AAA, which is the Argentine Anti-Communist Alliance. At one point, his individual power is so hot, is so great that they refer to him as uh, El Brujo or the Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. He works for the Ministry of Social Welfare. Is very well connected with the CIA, very well connected internationally. Uh, quite honestly, sort like the ideology of Argentina and the ideology behind the dirty war, as we will get into, is uh, fucking nuts. It becomes this like Rio de la Plata irredentism combined with hard Christianization. At one point, they make the statement that uh, it doesn't matter if Hitler is the Antichrist because. Uh, Christ will always beat the devil so they can let Hitler crush liberalism, which it does not say in the Bible that Christ can defeat, but he can beat the devil. So even if he's the Antichrist, Christ will still win. I mean, I think that, you know, that's the idea still holds, though. If, you know, Christ is going to win, that much is mentioned in Revelation, is that Christ eventually wins. Yeah, but why, like... I don't think you would. I, I don't think you should. Now, if you ally with the Antichrist, that actually exposes you to a lot of risk of being, of being damned. I believe. Yeah, the, the Antichrist is supposed to, directly to hell. Yeah, this is now a theology podcast. Because uh, again, the Antichrist is supposed to be, you know, quite a. Is supposed to appear like a like a mirrored like Christ-like image, a Christ-like figure, and so. You can't. Uh, he is going to he's going to captivate the masses and lead them away from God, and so you can't you cannot make a temporary alliance with the Antichrist. It's yeah, not, and that you can't beat the up. devil. That comes up because they stand in like hard contradiction to this kind of uh, like pseudo Norse paganism that's being pushed in Germany, and also uh, the anti clericalism that's being pushed in Italy. It's just, it's bizarre. Bad Catholics. Absolutely. Terrible what, Catholics. They're terrible Catholics. Mm. And, you know, the other countries, they all have uh, varying degrees of development in terms of ideology, varying degrees of development in terms of politics. Uh, Argentina's is called the National Reorganization Process, uh, which is actually just a genocide. Um, That's very reorganizing. Yeah. Reorganizing uh, who's alive. Jesus. Yeah, it is uh, essential to the Argentine project that they... Uh, so Germany, Nazi Germany, like also makes note of this, that Argentina is a, quote... Uh, white Latin country in contrast to uh, Brazil. And Argentina develops their own like race science around this where they are a combination of Visigoths and uh, the Native American na- master race. Uh, I, thought, which... I, I thought this was Chile. Oh, it might be Chile. That is Chile. Yeah, because right. I, I think the Argentinians, just they're just straight up white is the idea. Yeah, they they're don't just need straight. To they're just a... they're just straight up white. It's in Chile where they have to do the mental gymnastics of well, you know, we're actually, well, we're like what they would call half castes, but actually that's that's their whole idea. It's just like well, we're mixed race, but actually mixed race is cool. It's like 
you know, we're like we're like Christ was both human and divine, and I am both Visigothic and and native indigenous. Yeah. Um, what tribes even? What tribe would they even claim? The Argentine coup is carried out against the Perons. Well, specifically Isabel, right? Isabel Perón is the leader of Argentina by this point. Yeah, Juan Perón. Di- Juan Perón dies in February of 1975. Uh, March 2nd of 76, Isabel is removed, and the planning begins on October 1975. They got rid of the girl boss of the DSA. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I okay so I'm gonna be honest I don't understand the love for the Ferrans pretty significantly uh, there's a massacre that's carried out uh, on the day that Juan comes back it's called Aziza Uh, it is likely carried out uh, by the man I just mentioned before Lopez Vega Uh, and is essential for the development of everything that comes after it because it is uh, the mass execution of left-wing Peronists. Um, Which we'll see when we get into the ideology of Argentina a bit more that that becomes essential for the military dictatorship to take hold. The rest of them, Brazil's coup is uh, fairly quick. It's against João Guiart. He's a Labor Party of Brazil. Quadros makes the worst decision in history. If you were in power, Hayes, hypothetically. Okay. Thought, thought experiment. I like it. Would you leave the presidency? Uh-huh. Hoping, because your uh-huh. politics are unpop- your policies are unpopular, that as you leave and the vice president inherits the bad situation you left him in, Mm-hmm. His policies will be even more unpopular. Only so that you can have a call for a new vote and everyone will welcome you back. Would I do that? Yeah. Um, well, so is the vice president elected separately from the president or do they have like, are they running on a ticket? He is elected separately. Okay. So he has nothing to do with me then. Correct. Okay. Are we in the same party? No. Oh. Hmm. Would I leave power voluntarily in order so that... So the idea here being, I'm going to leave, and then he's going to just suck so hard that I can come back? Yeah. That's a gamble. Now, ordinary people should not take that. However, Mike, you've asked the question of me, and because I am a genius, and because I am so charming, I am certain it would work for me. How did it work out for him? Terribly. Oh, uh, that's where that was going. <laughs> I figured. So Galarpe becomes the president. Uh, he's in the People's Republic of China at the time when all of this takes place. He's accused of being a communist. Um, and at first, he strikes a deal with the right wing, uh, namely the elimination of the presidential system and the establishment of a parliamentary system. And so the parliamentary system meaning that now the prime minister is in charge. Uh, yes. Okay, that's actually way better. So I don't even need to win the presidential election. Now I just need to. Now I just need my party to win the. The pri- like the 
to win the legislative oh, election, so and clarify, then uh, and then I become party leader. Power between the president and the prime minister. Well, but the prime minister is still so. In in situations like this, the prime minister is still basically there was in charge. Previously not. Okay, but in situations like this, the prime minister is typically the one who's like really in charge of the country. Yes. Okay, so that actually makes that makes the gambit way easier. Hear the hear me out, Michael. All you have to do. So all you have to do is get your party to win the legislative election, and then you don't need to be reelected by the people. You need to be reelected by people in your party. It's a leadership. So you see, you see where this is going. So instead, what they do is put it oh. on a referendum. Okay. Should we have a presidency or a parliamentary system? And so what? So I'm going to be completely honest. I am terribly sorry to everybody else. I think I presidency is probably preferable, right? Uh, that's what the people of Brazil seem to think when they overwhelmingly voted for not just the presidency to be returned constitutionally, but also for uh, Joao Guiard, who is the current head of the current president of Brazil, who was formerly the vice president, to remain in power. Wait, who do they vote for? Uh, so they vote for Joao Guiart. Okay. Um, Joao gives a speech on March, 5th, March 13th uh, where he mentions uh, rent control, implementing a wealth tax, uh, nationalizing the mining industry, including Hanna Mining, which is owned by the United States. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. In response, there's uh, this horribly named anti-communist group that marches against him called the March of the Family with God for Liberty. As you might imagine, that's a straight-up CIA astroturf. Never existed before this. Peru seems to only change power with coups, right? Uh, we have the uh, Bermudez's Tacnazo, uh, which is actually the second coup that has happened since uh, 1960. Uh, which was Alvarado in 68. Uh, February 5th, 75, the police go on strike, turns into a riot. Uh, Peruvian army comes and puts that right down. Mm -hmm. uh, this is done by the prime minister and military leaders. Uh, Alvarado is not there. He is uh, not in Tacnazo, which is, or, oh, so, uh, Tacnazo is a celebration of Tacna's return to Peru. Uh, he is not present for this big celebration. Military leaders are, and uh, the minister is. And uh, at Tarapaca, they planned this coup. So the president, Velasquez, and Alvarado are both asked to step down. They do. Velasquez only does because... Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, Peru develops their military junta in, like, the dumbest way possible. And so this uh, happens in 1975. Yes. So we've had 75 for Peru, 76 Argentina. Brazil was a few years earlier, about a decade earlier in 64. Chile is in 73. So you can see that these are all happening around the, around the same time. There's a few outliers in, like, the 50s, late 50s, but in general, it's through the 60s and first half of the 70s yes until condor's official establishment in 74 yes although 
the structure of that in Argentina is already there. That's what we mean when we're talking about like the Perons not necessarily being uh, the good guy ally everyone's looking for. Like they are already sending people to this and signing on. Hugo Bonzer is weird because he gets elected president later in a super like super strange series of events gets forced out of the pre- gets forced out as dictator and then uh, later elected president. That's not that weird given the rest of there's a lot of he- things here that I would call weirder than that, but yeah, I guess I don't know. I guess I just like I cannot imagine voting for someone who like. Who what? Kind of sucked. Most like, people, well, I mean, most people actually do that. Like, that's what we're supposed to do, apparently. I don't ever do it. I've never voted in my life. And I never will. Because the lines are too fucking long. did vote, but mostly only to piss off my roommate one time, so. Who'd you vote for? Uh, Obama. My, my roommate was a racist, and uh, I was real, real mad. I knew Obama was going to win already. It didn't matter. But uh, he was super pissed that I voted for him. It was actually kind of a good time. It's like, I live in Texas. Why should I, you know, you can vote in local shit maybe, but I'm not voting for president. Who cares? Yeah. Beto's um, not going to win, guys. I Listen, I just want to put out this little, I'm, I'm sneaking in this public service announcement on, on perhaps the only podcast that I can be definitely sure no Beto voter actually listens to. But please... He's not going to win. Please expend your energy elsewhere. Volunteer for your community. Uh, donate to a charity that doesn't suck. Um, Fund our Patreon. Go have sex with the femcell. There's way better things you can do for humanity than to do this. Are put you going to cut that? Patreon. You could put money in our Patreon. You could donate to us so that we can continue to tell you what to do with your life. We give jo- good advice. Jordan like, Peterson gets to make that grift. I want to make it too. Yeah, you know what? I'm at least as good as him. him. We give better advice. We're smarter. He's a fucking Jungian, okay? Yeah, we're true Freudians. We are true. Well, yes. Yes, we are. We'll go with that. <laughs> uh, as much as anyone else is. Uh... Well, I'm French is the is the point, so Oh. We fuck. could get in you want to get into some real nasty territory. Um Yeah. I'm, I'm good on that. I hate you. And now uh, we are <laughs> introducing our next guest, Mike Crumplar. Please come out with your WWE fight song, Mr. Mr. Crumps. So uh in Uruguay, Bordabera uh just closes parliament. Like that is literally how he carries out his coup. He just declares parliament closed. Uh, Pools closed, everybody. Go home. Yeah. Uh, He claims that this is all to stop the Tupamaros. Uh, The trade unions call it general strike. It's a two-week strike. Uh, By the end of it, almost everyone uh, who was in charge is dead, jailed, or in exile in Argentina, uh, which we'll see during the infrastructure of Condor episode that this is a real problem. Uh, They also ban all all, all associations. That is the wording. Uh, All associations. Which, yeah. So no more chess clubs? Uh, no, you have to go and play in the park with the old men now. That That's that is a chess club, my friend. No, it's not. You don't think no, those old men are in clubs. You don't do you think that old men just hang out in the park and just play chess like like just for the hell of it? I figure they were just there hanging out and like they build friendships and 
yeah. see other people doing it, so they go to do that. That's not so a- when you build, Michael, when you build friendships with people and you all play chess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay, so it's not like a, it's not a chess club in the sense that you have a rating, like an ELO yeah, rating. It's not a formalized club. Yeah. Well, those the ones where eat with ELO ratings, that's definitely not allowed. That's that's an association. Yeah. Uh, this includes all unions and political parties. They begin anti-guerrilla combat on September 9th, nineteen seventy-one. Uh, on December sixteenth, the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, form a small military junta. Uh, but keep Fortabera in power yet. Well, how do they uh, how do they form how do they form a junta? Associations aren't allowed. How do well, they get? They're to... allowed to have associations. Well, for me not for thee, not for me. Well, yeah, associations for me, not for thee. That's you know, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's why I would never vote for most of these guys, honestly. Well, you're probably. I mean, well, the whole point of like guys like these is that you won't have to vote anymore. Yeah, that's true. The, the whole point uh, of a junta is that you know the you know you don't get to vote on it. <laughs> It just happens. So the military gets more involved in civil life. October 31st, the defense minister resigns because he fails to remove an officer from a mission that he was supposed to be removed from. Uh, The military officers complain. Uh, Minister of National Defense is replaced with uh, this guy named Francesi. Only the Navy continues to support Bordabera. Oh, only the Navy supports... Uh, Francesi, the Army and Navy refused to follow his orders. Decree number four inter- implements some populist reforms uh, what by kind the military. Of, what kind of reforms? So Portobello was a genuinely super unpopular government and was likely going to lose. Mm-hmm. I didn't see, ex- I didn't bother to look into exactly what the reforms are, but they could have been almost anything, uh, considering how wildly unpopular he was. Yeah, he was actually the uh, most authoritarian and brutal out of them, which is impressive when you're the democratically elected president of a military junta. To become the most, like, yeah. Savage and brutal, yeah. Oh, right. Is there any uh, he suspends all civil liberties at one point. Okay, that's, uh, those aren't, those don't seem like strictly populist measures. Yeah, well... Uh, to be honest, I can I can see why you would say that. <laughs> well, who um, knows? Uh, Post COVID, it seems like people are very actually very fond of having their rights taken away. They love it. They love yeah. the yeah. So, who can explain uh, the who can explain the mind of these people? Not me. Far be it for me to try to explain. Now, I wanted to ask another question: Is there any reason that the Navy supports Francesi or Francesi over like? the where the rest of the military does not is it like a is it related to some kind of actual like practical political reason or uh, is it just the of, culture he came out of there okay like so Mal- it's like Malik came out of there so that's like minnesota voting for walter mondale or whatever yeah wow wow that's <laughs> well, that sucks yeah it's the dumbest bullshit reason to support your new dictator that I could imagine, but I'm going to be honest. If Governor a- if Governor Abbott tries to coup the United States, uh, he does not have my support. I do not care. Yeah, no, uh, I can't think of a single Pennsylvania politician that I would have like even 
back for a little bit in my lifetime. Yeah, you know, well, I'm not doing Beto because he's he's a little bit fruity. I'm not doing Abbott because I don't, you know, I don't want Professor X to be president. He's got mind powers. That's scary. It is scary. Yeah. So I guess the only one really to talk about. So this is going to lead us into everything else that we go into. After Perón's death, uh, they launched something that is described by the Argentine government as Vietnam-style combat Mm -hmm. uh, in the Tucumán jungle and divide the country up into five zones with a military head. Uh, Videla gives the order that they are to wage total war. Siege and martial... The country develops into a siege and martial law position by its own standard. Uh, Congress is disbanded and arrested. Uh, Hundreds of protesters are arrested on day one alone. This is when Kissinger gives them the advice to crush their enemies quickly uh, to hide human rights abuses. Oh, do go on. The development of this is that Videla, Macera, and Agosti uh, take power in Argentina. And in something that we will see echoed over and over again, they begin to emphasize a continuation of colonization and that what they are doing is the Reconquista. Oh. Uh, Yeah, Videla at one point makes the statement that uh, there is no indigenous culture in Argentina. Well, not anymore there's not. Yeah, not by the time he's done. Yeah. Uh, well, that's fucking evil. Yeah. Um, okay. The whole Argentine system is built around Lopez Rega's death squads who drive around in Ford Falcons with no license plate, uh, jump out of their car, murder someone, set them in a car, and light it on fire, and then leave. Which is, Benjamin uses the term tiger's leap into the past when he's referring to the building of barricades during the Spanish Civil War, talking about how uh, obviously they are aware that the tanks that are being driven at them are going to knock these back, right? But it is a tiger's leap into the past that calls to mind uh, French revolutionaries. In a similar style, we are seeing a tiger's leap into the very recent past, in this case, uh, in a way that calls to mind the same tactics that are being utilized in the U.S. in the 50s and 60s by the Klan against civil rights protesters, right? Right. So that kind of tells us what we are looking at as we move forward. Uh, For our next episode, we're going to be discussing the Chicago Boys and uh, especially the economics in Chile, and we're going to be hitting the Chicago School a little bit more. We're really going to be discussing the economic foundations, uh, theoretical, the backbone behind a lot of the uh, right-wing states in Latin America during this time period. Because for Chile, this is important for the you know advent of neoliberalism on the American continent. And it also affects many of the other Latin American countries that are uh, part of the Condor Network. Rounding that episode out with neoliberalism. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been... Hayden DePriest. And Michael Petroselli with Timber Sycamore. Thank you for listening. Good night, everyone.